Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I want to quickly talk about our supporting partners and the great offers that they have for you. InvisiFrame began over 10 years ago as one man trying to keep his bike looking great, and it's now the global market leader in frame protection. InvisiFrame helps you keep your bike looking brand new, so that when it's time to sell it on, you're going to get the most amount possible for it, and you've got the benefit of it looking great the whole time that you own it. My Cotic Rocket Max is over three years old now, and thanks to it being InvisiFrame from new, it still looks incredible. InvisiFrame have precision cut kits available for thousands of different bikes. They do such a good job that they're the choice of many brands worldwide to keep their demo fleets looking fresh. In fact, the Santa Cruz that I took to Stone King Rally came InvisiFrame wrapped and shrugged off a week's worth of travel and abuse in the Alps. InvisiFrame provide kits for frames and forks in both gloss and matte finish, and come delivered with everything you need in the box. I've fitted my own kit and it's pretty straightforward. Just make sure you use plenty of water and then even if you put a piece in the wrong place you can easily move it to where it needs to be. There's a really helpful video on their website to show you how to do it. But if you don't want to do it yourself then InvisiFrame have a global network of approved fitters that you'll also find on their website invisiframe.co.uk. As a downtime listener InvisiFrame are kindly offering 20% off everything on their website which includes frame and fork protection and decals too until the end of July 2023 which is rapidly approaching so be quick if you want to get some. All you need to do is to enter the code downtime20 at the checkout over on invisiframe.co.uk. That's downtime all uppercase followed by the number 20. And don't stress the price you see is the price you'll pay as they factored in all the costs at the checkout. So head to invisiframe.co.uk now and get the best protection possible for your prized possession. Goreware comes from the people who invented the most well-known and respected material in outdoor clothing, Gore-Tex. So you know that their bike clothing is going to be really great. Since 1985, Goreware have been enabling us to get out on our bikes in all weather conditions in comfort. Based on quality, engineering and innovation, Goreware makes technical products that last the test of time. So if you like to get out and ride whenever and whatever the weather, then Goreware is the clothing for you. A Goreware jacket has been a staple part of my riding pack for many, many years of riding and commuting, and I've recently spent some time using their latest range and it's incredible stuff. Their new Endure jacket uses Gore-Tex technology to make a jacket that's incredibly lightweight at 272 grams, durably waterproof with their guarantee to keep you dry promise and highly breathable too, with a drop tail and over-the-helmet hood giving you extra riding protection, and with a front pocket that doubles as a stowaway pouch for easy packing. This was the jacket I chose to pack for the Stone King Valley, and I'm really, really glad that I did. Then there's the Fernflow range which includes a super comfortable lightweight and highly breathable liner short as well as shorts and pants. The shorts utilize four-way stretch fabric for total freedom of movement and the Fernflow pants are an awesome option when the temperatures start to drop and you've got spray or drizzle in the air. If you want to try Goreware's latest products then they're very kindly offering downtime listeners 20% off the entire range until the end of August. Just use the code downtime20 at the checkout over on goreware.com. This offer works in both the US and EU web stores. That's downtime all in capitals followed by the number 20 over on goreware.com. If you want to support the podcast, then you can either do that with a small regular donation over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast or by grabbing yourself something from our web store at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. If you want a little more downtime in your life, then you can join my newsletter where you'll be getting a little bit of behind the scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini reviews of products that I've been using and like, partner offers and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode by hitting that button in your podcast app now or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can either listen to today's episode here or if you prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast. All the links for all of that are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, today's episode is also supported by Canyon, and I'm joined by their mountain bike engineering team manager, Maritz Stewart, to chat all things gravity e-bikes. Hear Maritz's thoughts on why e-bikes weren't initially great for gravity-based riding. We talk about how e-bikes have evolved and what's enabled them to become such a great tool for going out and getting your gravity fix. Find out how and why the kinematics differ from regular bikes and why the kinematic on an e-bike can actually be better than on a normal bike. We chat about the future of e-bike racing. Maritz shares some advice on choosing battery size and much, much more. So, without further ado, here's Moritz Struer. 
Moritz Truer, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Hi, all good. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for the opportunity, Chris. Um, I'm doing great. Weather is fine. Summer finally arrived in Europe. How about you? Yeah, we've just we've had summer and it seems to have gone. <laughs> it's been absolutely throwing it down with rain today, but the trails needed it and the garden needed it, so yeah, it's all yeah. good. Good for good we for the nature. We don't mind for a sure. bit of mud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all good. Born dry, yeah. but good before, riding. Yeah, yeah. Before we go too far, just um, remind us how you got involved with Canyon in the first place. Just give us a, a little short background on yeah. your career so far. Yeah. Quite a few times now, so I'm with Canyon for for a little more than eight years. Uh, before that, I've been basically riding bikes uh, my whole life. So starting as a kid, um, riding mountain bike, um, riding BMX, then moved from cross country into downhill quite um, quite soon. Been doing downhill races on a national European level for many, many years. Been doing this in parallel um, also when studying. So the reason why I was studying engineering was basically because I was always into bikes. Yeah, I was thinking about bikes, fiddling around, trying to do improve things and stuff. So that's why I went to engineering in the first place. Um, been in contact in Germany. You came in contact with automotive industry quite early. So tried that uh, during studies, but then um, yeah, thought why not uh, take the try try bicycle industry. Yeah, try it for a few years, and yeah, still around. So. Good stuff. And what's your current role at Canyon? Currently, I'm a team manager in the engineering team uh, for mountain bikes. So basically, we have okay. uh, around 10 engineers um, taking care about all the projects, all the new stuff we're developing here. And uh, mm -hmm. try to keep everything together and uh, making sure we are heading in the right direction. Good stuff. And have you always been involved in the gravity side of things at Canyon? Because we spoke a few years ago when we were talking about the, the new sender at the yeah, time, right? Yeah, back then, definitely, because it was coming from, from downhill, from enduro. Uh, gravity is for sure where my heart is. But uh, now I'm also responsible for, for everything else. So um, cross-country, definitely a big part of what we do um, at Endurance uh, Mountain Biking. So, yeah. A lot of stuff I can still learn um, from the experts, uh, but yeah, that's what's what keeps it more uh, keeps it interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely, it's a big job, man. Mm -hmm. Well, let, yeah, we're going to be talking about the gravity side of things, and like it feels to me like the perception of e-bikes within the gravity side of mountain biking has changed a lot in the last couple of years. I think it's probably fair to say they weren't really like initially very welcomed into the gravity side of mountain biking. There wasn't a lot of love for e-bikes uh, in the first few years. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you imagine maybe eight years ago, looking at uh, how e-bikes were looking like, if you meet someone uh, in the forest on e-bike, they're probably uh, 65 uh, and, and older. Yeah, so basically none of the, let's say, cool kids, they would uh, think about getting uh, an e-bike uh, back then. So, yeah, I mean, part of the reason was for sure, uh, yeah, it's a sport, yeah. So why would you put a motor on, on a bike? So there was totally, uh, yeah, something totally new back then. And to be honest, mountain bikers, they are sometimes, they are conservative, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Rather than, you know, yeah. thinking about the potential it could actually bring into the sport, uh, they do just see, okay, maybe the products which are available at that time, they were by far not perfect. Um, but, you know, as an engineer working in the industry, um, you should not be happy with what you have at the moment. You should rather think about, you know, what's the potential and what could we do like in three, four, five years out of that technology. Yeah, definitely. What do you think was kind of holding them back in the early days from a technology perspective? Because e-bikes just weren't really, I guess, suited to the more gravity side of riding. Yeah, yeah, so basically two different aspects, I would say. So one thing is um, the sheer size of the motors, um, trying to fit the first generation Bosch um, engine into an e-bike gravity mountain bike at that time would have been required to have crazy long chain stays. So they had like 480 chain stays on a trail bike. And back then, obviously, we've been trying everything. We've been riding everything what was available, uh, but the handling, it did just not, um, yeah, come up to what we would uh, say it would be it would be a good handling of a mountain bike um, so that's one thing and the other thing is definitely um, the capacity of the battery back then 
So the first generations, they had yeah, below 500 watts watt hours <clears throat> for a bike, which is uh, 24 kilos and more. Um, yeah, which definitely would have meant at that time, probably you could do 90 minutes of riding, but that's it. Yeah, so and then thinking yeah, about yeah. The, the, the money you have to invest, thinking about how heavy the bikes are, which is also not the best for the handling, obviously. Um, the amount of uh, of riding time you would get in would for sure be significantly less than what you would have done uh, without a motor. Yeah. And like you say, you, you're constantly, I guess, experimenting and looking at what's possible with the technology that's available now. And also, I guess you have a window into the future to some extent with, with brands like uh, Bosch and Shimano. So you kind of, you also see what's coming. When, when did you first start to think that e-bikes were going to begin to work within the, the gravity side of things? What was the first sign to you where you were like, hang on a yeah. minute, I think we might, we might have something that could work. Yeah. Here. Like what I mentioned, bef uh, mentioned before, um, just the size of the um, engines with the motors. So the first one was definitely uh, Shimano with the EP8, um, significantly reducing the packaging, uh, making it, it slimmer, therefore allowing us to have um, some kind of regular chainstay um, change the length numbers, which was just not achievable before with the first generation uh, motors. So definitely Shimano, you know, looking uh, at the motor um, system a little bit from a different perspective. Um, yeah, that was for us uh, a game changer. Yeah, and I guess the, the Spectral on was like the first um, bike that you guys did with that EP8 motor. Yeah. Was that like a, a kind of dipping your toe in the water of e-bikes in the gravity world because that that bike i guess it, it sort of sits somewhere at the lower end of the gravity side of things the upper end of like trail riding it's kind of somewhere between the two fields maybe yeah so yeah, definitely so there was for sure like uh, in between back then like a lot of people inside canyon they were not like 100 percent sure is it e-bike is it actually a thing for us yeah because uh canyon yeah it's a sportive brand so um, we are not targeting um, the, the, I mean, now we are. <laughs> so for a mountain bike, we are not targeting the uh, the commuter and um, the, the casual riders, but we want sportive mountain bikes. Um, so yeah. back then, um, yeah, I have the Spectral as kind of a do-it-all mountain bike. Um, also gravity-orientated in terms of geometry numbers. And definitely that was uh, the, first, um, the first bike where we would say, yeah, if we do an e-bike, this should be the first one. Actually, interesting story yeah. back then. There was also one of the first ones with mullet set up. So, okay. You know, the story behind it, yeah. we were constantly thinking about, okay, is it actually the right thing to do to have like two same size wheels, yeah, front and rear the same. So um, before that, even we were testing a lot of uh, mullet setups and actually came to the conclusion that it's the better setup. Yeah, not only for mountain bikes, but for e-bikes, but also for mountain bikes. But then the UCI was holding us back um, with the with the rule that it's not allowed to have two different wheel sizes. And uh, back then, obviously, e-bikes were way too far away for the UCI um, to to have a reglement for that. So um, we said, okay, if we can try it somewhere, then we can can do it somewhere where there's no UCI regulation uh, which would hold us uh, back so it was actually also our first mountain bike at that time ah interesting i didn't realize that yeah and that that bike obviously was was popular not in the market but also within canyon i think it got a lot of you thinking about okay well this is a really good start but like what could we do from here and is that that was like the the, the founding father i guess of the torque on which came later in an aluminium version yeah definitely so Obviously, if you do a project for first time, if you do a bike for first time, e-bike for first time, um, then you do learn a lot of things. Back then, Spectral On was also external battery, which was yeah kind of popular at that time. Then we were transferring everything to internal battery. Um, had a successor of the Talk On and the making. Um, so basically, before we you know like finalize the design, uh, we do try a lot of things with test new bikes. So. Um, we did have several test mules for the Spectral on, but we also did have um, test mules for the Torque on. Um, so I think very, very early we had, um, let's say, 
a very progressive e-mountain bike, um, 180 millimeter travel front and rear geometry, which was more or less the same as uh, a traditional bike. And um, yeah, we're, we're learning a lot about how should kinematics look like, how should geometry look like for a mountain bike, for e-mountain bike. Because um, there are definitely differences here you need to um, um, you need to think about. Um, cannot just transfer one thing to the other. You cannot just take yeah. a, a mountain bike design, put a motor on, and and that's it. But um, yeah, I think we just learned it by by doing exactly this. Yeah, so we were always complaining about uh, geometry numbers of e-bikes, um, you know, super long chain stays, and uh, then we just build a, a bike with the same geometry as a, a non-motorized bike. Yeah. And then obviously <laughs> the climbing. I remember like my colleague Lawrence at that time, we were doing like a, a ride out and uh, first time on the bike, 430 chain stay, steep climb, and he was doing like a backflip. Because <laughs> 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 you, you were not used to um, short chain stays on an e bike at that time. Yeah, so yeah. you needed to adapt to your riding accordingly. Definitely. Yeah, you talk you talk about the kinematic. I think that's an interesting thing to to maybe talk a bit more about. It's something that on paper, I guess, you'd be like, well, why would it not be the same e-bike to non-e-bike? But there's various things that you can do with an e-bike or you'd want to do with an e-bike that drive some differences. Can you tell us a little bit about how, for it, maybe on something like, I don't know, the Strive or the Talk, like how the the non-e-bike kinematic and the e-bike kinematic are different and why? Yeah. So for example, there's one significant difference in, um, let's say, the speed you are riding an e-bike compared to um, a pedal bike. So when you're pedaling, um, you're actually never going a constant speed, but you have like a sinus curve. You always accelerate and then you go slow, accelerate and you go slow. And uh, this is quite significant um, as long as you do not have a motor. So once you have a motor in the system, yeah, you do not only have the you know, very um, very much changing frequency uh, of pedaling uh, from the rider, but you do have a constant, um, yeah, constant torque coming from the motor. So this means you are going at the way more constant speed. You're, you're not accelerating, uh -huh. decelerating, accelerating, decelerating. And if you try to do something like this with your car, you know, like you go on the gas, stop again, yeah. And this is uh, when when the car is, uh, the chassis is, is starting to move. Yeah, and this is something you also have on a bike. And you do have it significantly more if you do not have a motor in there. So this means um, if you look at, yeah, you know, numbers, people are talking uh, a lot, um, for example, the anti-spot number, yeah. So this is basically... Um, the kinematics number, which describes like how much do chain forces actually um, do this decrease this uh, chassis movement of a bike. Mm -hmm. um, so this number, for example, would be significantly higher on a um, on a regular bike compared to a e-bike. And what does it uh, mean on the other side? Is um, okay, we need less anti-squat on the e-bike so this means we can also decrease the amount of pedal kickback you would see on the bike and therefore we can uh, even increase um, yeah, the suspension performance of the e-bike even more compared to a traditional one without having a negative uh, chassis movement uh, interesting so you would say that the kinematic on an e-bike is a more desirable kinematic that's enabled by the fact that there's a more constant speed exactly in the way we ride yeah, it exactly yeah. there's a more constant speed okay. and therefore you can yeah, actually tune the suspension uh, the way it's it's even more more sensitive let's say so yeah have you ever tried taking that e-bike kinematic and putting it on a non-e-bike yeah, to see yeah, you could try. <laughs> how detrimental that is? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, you can just uh, grab a Canon e-bike, turn the motor off and try to pedal it uphill. So it's possible, okay. but uh, you're going to notice uh, some significant more suspension bob compared to um, yeah, not having a, a motor. Uh, interesting. So, I've, yeah, I've always sort of thought that the reason for a lower anti-squat on an e-bike was because you had the power you didn't really care about you know any inefficiencies mm. in things but it's more that you're just at a more constant speed most of the time so you, you physically don't need it exactly yeah so the the torque which yeah. is actually on the chain ring and uh yeah and on the chain is, is way more constant um than yeah without a motor yeah yeah interesting okay so it feels like you know in the last 
couple of years, like e-bikes have been really pushed forward. Like there's uh, constant developments, so many brands launching e-bikes. And also now we've got e-enduro racing at the highest level, a World Cup level event. Um, it's been embraced by the UCI and ESO and plenty of other events worldwide. Do you feel that's really making a big difference to this segment? Is it driving things forward in a certain direction? Yeah, I mean, it's still very early. And uh, I think there was very, very big changes looking at the first uh, E-World Cups, let's say so, which were, yeah, more like a cross-country format. And mm -hmm. uh, now having the um, EWS and the UCI merging, and now we have a, a dual race format, uh, which is basically... Yeah, it's enduro racing on the highest level, um, just mixed up with some some super technical um, super technical climbing, and uh, just having those two different formats, you know, like looking from one year to the other, uh, it did change uh, dramatically. And um, I think with every product, the racing is inspiring, yeah, and it's uh, driving development into a certain direction. And um, definitely, yeah, there's going to be, I think, super interesting things to come. Still, it's very, very early. It's a small sport. Um, it's a little bit niche. Maybe you can compare it to like the early days of Enduro. You know, also back then when Enduro was brand new, um, the first race has been won uh, by Fabian. Now we have the yeah. Enduro E. Yeah, first two races, they were also won by Fabian. So uh, <laughs> maybe this is yeah. just the start of... Uh, of something something new and something bigger interesting are you seeing that like trickle through into demand yet do you say i, I guess it's kind of hard to separate that but i'm guessing that there's more and more demand for bikes in this sector yeah yeah so definitely with e-bikes yeah you can go uphill it doesn't matter like how much travel you have you can for sure get a get a bigger bike without having to compromise um, the uphill and pedaling performance um so for e-bikes you see the move yeah you can just you know size up a little bit yeah? so if you're basically riding trails then why not get an enduro yeah so if you ride enduro trails you can uh, potentially look into uh, getting a free ride e-bike or let's say a downhill bike with the motor yeah so uh, you see yeah people getting bigger bikes and therefore probably also feeling uh, more comfortable on the trails and um, pushing their limits um, so all in all, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, good thing for everyone. Yeah. And I guess the strive on is your offering for e enduro racing, right? That's what Fabian's been uh, out on the circuit on as well as inners as well. I yeah. think. <clears throat> so Fabian, he actually pushed a lot for this bike. Yeah. So okay. back then I was explaining, uh, yeah, we did a lot with Shimano and, uh, yeah, we also had the thinking, Shimano is probably offering a little bit more, let's say, um, natural ride feeling, whereas, you know, if you ride a Bosch, uh, you have plenty of power, yeah, super powerful. Um, but maybe for some mountain biker, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, but then again, looking at racing and looking how the format is, yeah, you need the, your power, you need uh, as much power as possible. And that's basically what Bosch is offering. And we said, okay, if we want a competitive bike and, um, we want to be competitive in, in every racing segment. Um, yeah, then we need to have a bike with a Bosch engine yeah, and we need to have a package which is capable to, to win the races. Yeah, and I think this is what we, or what Fabian he <laughs> did prove in the first two races. And uh, I see now he's a, <laughs> he's a professional racer again. Hard to talk to him because yeah, he's, he's training so much. <laughs> <laughs> leading the overall exactly. and hopefully going to continue because yeah, I think he only planned to race the first round, right? He was planning to race the first round and then maybe the second. Uh, I think now I didn't speak to him uh, like after the third one, but I think now everyone is pushing him to do the whole series. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, where do you start with, with something like the Strive on? I guess it is the motor selection is the first big decision you have to make on it. And any e-bike platform, is that fair? Because that's kind of what you're wrapping everything around. Yeah, to be fair, this is uh, for sure a very big part of it. Yeah, So you can never just look at the motor and then trying to, to build around a uh, bike. So you could definitely need to look into the whole package. Um, so not only motor, also the battery, you know, HMI interfaces. Do you need to connect it? Um, the functions, does it need to um, you know, fit into the 
we're also offering an app here yeah, so we're gonna have a, a ecosystem for all the connectivity devices you have on the bike um, so a lot of things you have to consider yeah and uh, then at the end for us it's always the customer as customer first um, so what's good for one customer might not be good for the other one and that's also the reason why we are not saying okay this is the best system yeah you have to use this but if you look at our portfolio of bikes at the moment uh, you have a drive this is then the race bike yeah so it comes with the bosch motor very very powerful um then the uh, let's say more natural ride feeling you would probably get uh, with the shimano motor and um also to be honest the lighter package yeah so if you look at the spectral on um it also comes with the um, in-house developed canyon uh, battery so um yeah, yeah. we're able to get so a little bit like a bit of packaging yeah is the bosch system is that a closed system you're like you're limited to using their batteries etc like you have to use all of their stuff is that how it exactly, works exactly yeah so this is how it works currently with bosch definitely yeah so you get a package you get a motor you get a battery you get a hmi yeah, and then you try to build the bike around it um with yeah. some other um yeah brands and motor suppliers you can uh, do it differently so maybe there's a motor but you can adjust the um let's say the output of the motor you can um work and get other batteries hmi connectivity devices so there's other systems which yeah give us way more room to um to play with and uh, customize everything according to the to the customer needs yeah because at the end it's a yeah. complete bike yeah it's never just a motor or a battery or a frame it's uh, the whole yeah. customer experience sure so on the bosch system do you get to control the calibration of the motor or not or is everything literally like off the shelf for that yeah, so for the bosch motor everything is uh, pretty much off the shelf yeah yeah there are yeah. some adjustabilities okay. you can do um, in the app later on uh, but this is basically uh, the same what every customer can do yeah and on top of yeah. that uh yeah at least currently we are not doing any any customization uh-huh and then with the Shimano system, you get a few more options. So it's, it is a little bit smaller from a package perspective, a little bit lighter as well. Yeah, it's a little bit not. Yeah, I think the the dimension overall is not a lot smaller, but it's um, let's say a bit more favorable in terms of the shape of the motor. Okay. Um, if you consider the whole the whole system, it's for sure lighter than what you get uh, with Bosch. And the let's say the interfaces from the motor to the frame, or from the battery to the frame. Um, this is something which is also yeah a bit more easy to do a good frame frame design around um, the whole packaging compared to uh, what you get from Bosch at the moment. And I think part yeah, of the reason is for Bosch they are they are doing one system and it does need to fit every customer. It does need to fit the mountain biker. It does need to fit the urban biker. You need to fit it in a, in a cargo bike. Yeah, so it's all the same. Uh, whereas there's some some other yeah manufacturers, smaller brands which are able to do yeah more customizing according to what you actually need as a customer yeah i guess there's ups and downs to both approaches right it's like the apple versus microsoft model so everything in apple is like a closed ecosystem <clears throat> but the result is it tends to be quite robust they have a lot of control over making sure everything integrates together and works together well and then when you open everything up it gives you more freedom to customize and get things exactly how you want them but the risk that then comes is that if that integration isn't engineered well then maybe it's not as robust maybe things don't communicate well or work together as they should so i guess it opens up a lot of doors for you guys working in the shimano ecosystem but it also creates more challenges i suppose in that integration piece exactly more possibilities but also more headache yeah <laughs> that's for sure how you could <laughs> yeah. call it yeah and you guys have used um your own battery you've designed your own battery to go with the shimano system which i think has um enabled some of the like the frame geometry you can see the difference not the geometry i guess the frame form the the silhouette of the frame looks very different between the shimano system and the bosch system tell us just a little bit about uh what's gone into that because that's that's a huge undertaking yeah very very interesting one because um if you are used to designing bikes, um, most likely you are not uh, the expert for designing batteries. Yeah? So this is for sure a risk you take and uh, a quite a big one and um, nothing you would just do yeah, uh, in a few minutes. 
So definitely what we did in parallel is uh, we teamed up a lot in our um, e-performance department. So I'm not the expert for the uh, for the engine and for the batteries. So there's uh, <laughs> probably or there's definitely um, other guys in Canon which which can explain better. Um, but definitely, it's a big thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, at the end it can be dangerous. Yeah, if you have a battery and it's exploding in your in your living room. Yeah, so this is for sure something you do not want as a customer. And um, so we had to yeah team up with quality, team up with uh, the right suppliers, team up with um, also yeah external partners, experts for development of uh, of batteries in order yeah to make it happen and. Uh, at the end, it need to be safe. Yeah, so this is the biggest or the most important um, thing you have to consider when when designing a battery. Yeah, but it yeah, did open sure. up guys yeah, are... a lot of possibilities. Yeah. So if you look at the frame yeah. design, it's more, you know, it's more slim. The packaging, so let's say the volume compared to weight, what we have uh, with those batteries is is really really good. It's uh, one of the best ones on the market. And um, the interface to the frame is very, very neat. And um, if you look at it, for example, it's a plastic housing. Yeah, and why is it a plastic housing? Because it's covered in a yeah big and strong carbon tube. So the carbon tube is then protecting the battery. Whereas um, if you do one system, which need to fit all kind of frame designs, like what it is on a brush, for example, yeah, you have a aluminum housing yeah, which is very very strong so our battery you could not assemble externally yeah with the risk of um let's say stones hitting the battery um, but since ours is uh, integrated in the frame 100 percent all the time uh, yeah we are able to save uh, significant uh, numbers of weight yeah and that's enabled you to get up to that 900 watt hour size as well which is pretty incredible like the range on those big batteries is is mind-blowing really yeah, yeah it's massive and if you look at uh, the bike from the side it's still it's not a huge uh, down tube uh, considering we have 900 watts hours in there um it's a uh, yeah it was a challenging it was a challenge in terms of packaging definitely yeah so basically the yeah. battery is running all the way from the bottom bracket like almost in the head tube <laughs> for the small frame <laughs> sizes and uh, trying to do something like this um, with the goal that it's going to fit in a mountain bike, in an urban bike, in a in a cargo bike, it's just impossible. Yeah, you have to customize it according to a certain yeah uh, a, a certain product, and this is where you can really do um, cutting edge technology. Yeah. And I guess that battery is having a huge impact on the weight distribution of the bike, which is in turn going to have a big impact on the way the thing rides. Like, is there a lot of focus on that side yeah, of things? Yeah, it's the heaviest part actually on the, on the bike. It's even heavier than the frame, to be honest. Um, definitely, we've been trying so already, yeah, many years ago, but we're constantly pushing, you know, like what's available and how potentially we can improve there. Uh, we did experiment quite a lot with position of batteries, you know, like having it on the top of the down tube. We were actually also hanging it uh, on the bottom of the down tube. Uh, we we're trying to move it a little bit <clears throat> up and down because, um, you know, maybe the common, most common approach would be to have everything as uh, centralized and as low as possible. They could also yeah. look into weight distribution, you know, to have um, the weight distributed evenly on the bike and on the frame um, whereas centralized would mean everything would be around the bb area and um, what does it do in terms of uh, how the bike uh, is riding so imagine having a very light having an e-bike which is very light um, in the front it would probably be very easy to lift the handlebar if you want to do bunny hop but then you would mm -hmm. lift the handlebar but the rear would never come up yeah but whereas if you yeah. have like a more balanced weight uh, distribution, it would maybe require a little bit more effort to pull the bars. But then at the same time, it would be, it would be way more easy to lift um, the rear end of the bike as well. Mm -hmm. So at the end, it's about yeah finding finding the right compromise um, and the right balance. So I think yeah, not everything uh, around the BB is not not always the best, uh, if you ask me. 
Yeah. And is that, again, is that a benefit of having the open system that Shimano offer? Like you can control battery shape, which in turn exactly like controls the weight distribution. Yeah, yeah. We, we can control the battery shape. So for example, if you have the big battery um, from the 900 watt hour, like what I mentioned, it goes almost all the way into the head tube. But if you have the smaller one, it's just shorter. Yeah? So the top section is just shorter. Um, if you look at the Bosch from the other way around, um, so if you have a slide-in battery on the Bosch and um, if you want to change between the, the small and the big battery, um, so then what you have to do is you need to add a spacer um, to fit the shorter battery into the same dimension of the bigger one. And this spacer is actually close to the motor. Yeah. So what you then you do with the Bosch is you have a lot of weight uh, on the top and in the front, and uh, mm-hmm. you actually reduce the, the weight around the motor, which is not what you would like to do if you uh, want to keep the weight as centralized as possible. Yeah. So interesting. Also, it's not like yeah, good, good and bad. There are some, you know, advantages, disadvantages, uh, depending like how you use it and uh, yeah, for which customer you're doing the product. Um, but there's yeah. yeah more possibilities with uh, open systems for sure. Uh-huh. And can the do the batteries have any impact on frame stiffness? Like they're obviously fixed into the frame relatively rigidly, and they're a long, stiff unit. Like do they do they impact the stiffness of the bike overall? Actually, they you could, but they they don't. Yeah? So if you would have a um, you know big aluminum housing, for example, what you see on the Bosch and your batteries. Uh, as an engineer, you could use this part yeah, to actually stiffen up the frame. Uh, but it's something yeah, which you should not do um, because you know, having the battery as a, uh, let's say, a frame member, then yeah, it's, it's very, very hard to control. Yeah, so yeah, um, I'm guessing there's a lot of risk yeah, inherent yeah. in that. So right? what's affecting uh, the stiffness more is than uh, the shape you would require in order to fit the battery, for example. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's a difference if you have like a big round tube or a rather um, rather slim and wide tube. So this is uh, what what is affecting um, the stiffness a bit more. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So how how should people be thinking about battery choice? Because often there's a choice when you're getting an e-bike. Obviously, you can compare different e-bikes and look at the the watt hour number of the battery, but also if you're buying a specific bike, sometimes they have a large and a small battery option. Like how should people be thinking about what to go for? Cause there's, there's positives and negatives to both, mm-hmm. I guess. I think first thing is uh, more is not always more. I think a lot of, a uh, lot of customers, they, they see it like this, but if you ask me, you should be, uh, yeah, you should be honest with yourself. Yeah, you should ask yourself whether you want to do, uh, shuttle laps on the bike basically and uh, therefore require as much capacity as possible or potentially yeah you're a light rider and you do not go out uh, for four hours five hours rides on the weekend and um, there would you would so as long as you get along with a smaller battery yeah you for sure get the, the better handling and this is also what you see um, with light e-bikes at the moment yeah so they have small batteries they have small motors uh, and at the same time, yeah, they are riding almost like normal bikes. So it's depending, definitely depending on, on what you want, what you are doing on a regular basis. So definitely it's, it's easy just to ask for a bigger uh, capacity just to be safe. Yeah, but it's not necessarily the, the best thing for everyone. And I think yeah. people starting so to ultimately also. Yeah. You want to kind of go as small as you can that fits for your your riding needs like the way you want yeah, to use yeah. the bike. And you still want to have like 10, 15% uh, yeah, safety margin because you do not want to end up on the yes. trail without any battery. Yeah, very true. What And what about the differences between the Bosch and the Shimano motor systems? Do you think like one might suit a certain type of rider or a certain style of riding more than the other? Like I've used both and I, I don't know, I personally find the Bosch a little bit more simple and maybe almost a bit more intuitive, like it it feels quite obvious in what it's doing, and it's got a huge amount of power. Obviously, the Shimano motor seems a little bit more like it's thinking and like interpreting what you're 
legs are doing and then creating an output from that there seems to be a bit more of a, almost a disconnect between the input and the output there do you, do you have certain views on the two different systems and how they might fit yeah so it's not not black and white i would say so i mean we do have the bosch and the race back yeah, because in terms of power output um it's uh, the benchmark at the moment um but in terms of riding style i think for some riders, it might actually be easier to use um, the Shimano because um, the power output is not as um, harsh as it is with uh, with the Bosch. So at least in the stock yeah. settings, I think uh, the Bosch with the app, you're also able to, to fine-tune that in a certain direction. So if you look, if you want a mountain bike, which yeah does ride like a mountain bike and not like an e-bike with, uh, with with plenty of power and all the time and full gas then uh, what's uh, say Keishimano is a very very good choice especially considering that you can get a um, significantly lighter bike so again it's about do I want uh, the full power yeah or do I want a, a little bit lighter bike let's say so yeah yeah the bosch is maybe a little bit more aggressive in its power delivery perhaps like it would it's not that i wouldn't put someone who hasn't ridden an e-bike on it and stick it in the the you know the full power mode and let them get stuck in because they're probably going to cause themselves some damage mm. right it takes, have you tried the race you need to understand have you tried the race motor from bosch i haven't no i've not is it is it another level beyond yeah 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 <laughs> So that's the, is it the CX performance? Is that what they call uh, it's it? It's actually the, the CX race. So it's a limited okay. number for Bosch. Um, so it's actually, yeah. you can get it in the high high performance or the highest levels drive um, uh -huh. from us. So the Fabian Barrel signature edition. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, they actually did crank up the uh, power output from the motor. And um, also, how's it called? Like the lag. So can basically stop pedaling and still the bike would continue to to ride for another 10 meters almost and if you're not wow. used to it if you do technical climbing you actually have to use your rear brake as a clutch you know, to not go straight in a, a, in a in a tight corner so i think yeah. for racing everybody is riding that motor yeah it's what you yeah. need there but Looking at how a bike should ride this is probably a bit over the top. This is more like mix between <laughs> motorcycle and bike. So then again, yeah. it's about the question: Okay, where do we want to draw the line? Are we building bikes or yeah. are we building motorcycles here? So probably very true. If you ask me, this is where it, uh, where it should stop. Yeah. Do you think we'll see more legislation on the racing side of things that will control some of that? Because it feels like a very unlevel playing field yeah, at the yeah, moment, very, really. Yeah. Like you need to be on the Bosch yeah, system. Yeah. Yeah. So it will definitely require more um, yeah, more rules in order to make everything uh, fair. Um, so looking at in general how the, let's say, laws for e-bikes are being written down with the average power output, Basically, it doesn't say nothing about um, the maximum power output and looking at, at racing and climbing the maximum power output is actually um, what is yeah, the limiting factor. So for sure, you could say, okay, the maximum power output for e-bike races could be like 85 newton meters, could be, or you would say um, you could adjust it uh, to your body weight. So let's say the, the total system weight need to be uh, or you you would have a certain uh, power per uh, total system weight so your body weight plus yeah. bike and uh, this would yeah, need yeah. to be would need to be even because um, at the moment definitely the the smaller riders they are in favor of the bigger ones because um, the weight the watts per kilogram is definitely yeah it's definitely on their side yeah stacked in their favor yeah it'd be interesting to see how that changes um i wanted to talk a bit about the two more recent bikes that you guys have bought this is the strive on and the torque on which i've been lucky enough to ride a bit over the last uh, couple of months and on paper they look pretty much like the same bike when you look at the frame numbers there's not a huge amount of discrepancy between them but they've got very different i think intended uses and some subtle differences between the two bikes i mean they feel really really different out on the trail can you talk us through a little bit like those two bikes and how they how they differ what it is that makes them differ and what their intentions are yeah so in terms of geometry numbers you're actually right it's, it's quite similar 
So what is significantly different is um, the, the bottom bracket height. Um, so on this drive, it's significantly higher than on the torque. And the reason why we're doing it is, um, yeah, if you do technically climbing, you need to have the, the ground clearance um, for your pedals in order to, um, you know, uh, go up the EWSE stages um, and, and go the win the races there. Whereas the torque for us is uh, it's a bike park bike, yeah. So if you climb on the torque, you probably go mellow. Yeah, you climb a fire road, um, climb the access road to a certain trail park. So you do see a lot of trail parks without lift access or without the need to shuttles. And um, this is where we actually see um, the torque. Um, yeah, it's the best terrain for the torque. Yeah, so it's like a shuttle. It's a, it's a self-uplift, basically. basically. a self-uplift downhill bike, if you would say it like this. Yeah. What about the kinematic of the two bikes? Is there much difference between the two as a result of, again, that like race use versus like bike park use? Yeah, it's actually very similar, to be honest. Um, so what I was mentioning before with, um, you know, more constant power output, output on the e-bike. So this is what we for sure um, took into notice for both of those bikes. Um, but other than that, you know, the torque does come with more travel. So it's uh, not a pure downhill bike, but if you look at bike parks nowadays, uh, yeah, few people are, are riding pure downhill bikes. Um, so let's say the free ride bike, which is still possible to, to pedal, or like a super enduro, this is uh, the go-to bike um, for most of the guys going in the bike park. And uh, this is also what um, the torque is, is for us. And at the end, it's nice. Yeah, You're pedaling yeah. up with your friends rather than loading up everything into an old crappy shuttle van, you know, burning a lot of diesel on the uphill. Yeah, it's it's way nicer on the e-bike. Yeah, do you, do you think things are going to go that way? Like there's lots of talk uh, around racing of like, you know, certainly in the UK, all of our racing uses like basically diesel Land Rovers to shuttle people up the hills, which is like a less and less cool mm -hmm. thing to do. Basically, it's it's not very uh environmentally friendly chairlifts i assume are better but they have the the downsides as well certainly the you know the cost and the damage uh to put them in in the first place do you think we're going to start seeing like e-bike as a replacement for uplift do you think that's a, a viable solution yeah, i think if you want to go full day full gas the whole day if you go to morzin if you want to ride a planar laps um yeah you're not going to replace um, the uplift there but if you look at places like uh, Finale, for example, um, like many few years ago, there was, you know, shuttle the whole day uh, up and down. Whereas now if you go uh, on the base Finale outdoor shuttle base, you see many, many riders with e-bikes just uh, shuttling up once. You know? So they get up once in the morning and the rest um, they are just doing by bike uh, with the help of, of the battery and they can spend the whole day in the mountain you know, have, have a great time. Um, <clears throat> have a have a gelato and uh, the beer around the beach <laughs> and everyone is happy yeah whereas uh, a couple of years ago you would have to go uh, full gas uh, with the shuttle van the whole day so i think you already see um, yeah quite quite a change there yeah, and on top of that um, on trail parks without without lift access you see at least here in germany you see many many e-bikes at the moment yes yeah and i think the 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 compromises of having an e-bike for that sort of riding are becoming less and less, right? And and to some extent, there's even the benefits like we were saying earlier, the the kinematic can be a better kinematic for the descending as a result of, you know, some of the things that e-bikes offer. Do you think that will continue? Do you think we'll get, you know, e-bikes will just get better and better at doing that? Yeah, I think because uh, yeah, the e-bike market is a, a growing market. Everyone's investing a lot there. Um, you for sure will see a lot of uh, progress in there. Um, but it doesn't mean like that you can still have a lot of fun without a uh, motor. Yeah, we are talking about e-bikes, e-bikes, e-bikes. But I also uh, do see, um, which is kind of interesting, like within the company, um, it's very, very, you know, everybody is able to have the new bikes, brand new bikes all the time. Yeah, without the need to show off, okay, I have the new Specialized, or I have the new YT, or I have the new Canyon. Um, so everybody um, just just gets uh, what what is fitting the most for the person needs. A lot of people actually they go back, yeah. So they did have tried e-bikes for 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 a few years, and uh, yeah, they enjoy um, the riding uh, without um, you know taking care about the battery all the time. So I think it's 
not gonna be black and white. I think uh, yeah, there's significant room uh, for both motorized and, and non-motorized bikes for sure. And we do will see yes. yeah um, some some improvements on both sides, but probably on e-bikes yeah. it's, it's going faster than on on traditional ones. I guess there's just like we're less mature in the e-bike side of things than we are in the normal mountain bike side yeah. of things, right? There's progress is easier to make in those earlier years of the technology. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's going to be some very interesting years to come next three, four, five years. I think a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of things are going to change in the market. So definitely post COVID, a lot of things are changing. So going to be super interesting what happens. Yeah. Never know. I don't, I don't know either. It's the only time will tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, let, I want to talk a little bit about durability and the testing side of things with these, because they're, they're a very different uh, thing from a normal bike, a lot heavier, a lot more going on with them. What sort of stuff do you do that you wouldn't obviously be doing with a normal bike? What kind of testing takes place to make sure these things are robust? Yeah, so definitely one big change or one big difference is um, that on an e-bike, considering you're going out for the same time, uh, you would put in uh, yeah, significantly more amount of kilometers or descent um, meters um, maybe not being compared to cross-country bikes um, but definitely if you compare a trail bike to a trail e-bike so this is a difference so thinking you're gonna own it for for 10 years the bike um, you would for sure um, yeah just uh, go further distance and, and higher altitude so this is something we have to take into account uh, when testing and the other thing is uh, the torque of the motor yeah, so again, it's not black and white. So the torque you see on the uh, on the chain on the frame is a higher one, you know. But the amplitude is a smaller one. So at the end, it's uh, questionable whether it's uh, tougher on the frame if you have an e-bike uh, compared um, to non-motorized bike. Um, but there are some some fine differences, and obviously, uh, yeah, you have heavy components on the bike, so you have a um, yeah, heavy battery which is being mounted to the frame and you know you crash when you ride a bike so you need to make sure that uh, for example the battery is not coming out of the frame or something like this yeah, so there's a few more things you need to um, take into account when testing an e-bike um, which you wouldn't have done uh, before yeah and you're you're on your website you give these levels that the bikes are kind of approved to and the strive on and the torque on are different in that respect so the strive on is like a 4E approved bike and the torque on is a 5E approved bike. I'm assuming the E stands for e-bike. But can you explain a bit about like what that system is, like what's different between four and five? Exactly. So this is basically yeah, showing the customer the intended use of the bike. So condition five for us is, uh, yeah, you can go full gas basically down the racing. So if you look at the sender and the bikes uh, which are being raced in the Dauda World Cup, they are tested according to this uh, testing standard. So you could take Troy Brosnan, for example, put him on a, on a truck on and uh, uh, he would go down Valdisole um, World Cup track uh, race speed. Probably would not go the same, the same, uh, the same time at the <laughs> end, uh, but it would not be any problem, you know, uh, to, to make it down. I'm not saying you can't do it on a, on a strive, but probably if you case a landing a few times uh, too often, um, yeah, it's just not what the what the bike is being made for. Yeah, so strive. This is okay. the bike where you go to finale, for example, um, where you do EWS races, uh, but it's not the let's say 60k average, um, 20 meters plus uh, or hardline jumps or whatever. So this is not what you would like to do on this bike. But if you have condition five, um, yeah, you can do all those uh, World Cup racing and, uh, and Grand Patch stuff for sure. Okay, so superhumans can ride a 5e bike. Basically. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to break it. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, if you case the landing in hardline, Probably you can also destroy a, a Condition Five bike, but then again, this is. Uh, I think, yeah, you can just can destroy yourself pretty you quickly. I reckon as well. If you go full gas in a, in a tree, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you um, on the Strive on you have this shape. Uh, sorry, on the Strive normal bike you have the shapeshifter technology, which like 
moves the bike down in travel. So if you're climbing or you've got a long pedal, you can flick the shapeshifter. You've not used that on the Strive-On, which I thought was kind of interesting. Is there is there reasoning behind yeah, that? Yeah, that's the official part of the reason is that you have a lot of power output on the e-bike. Um, and uh, if you do not have a motor, yeah, you do not have this, um, let's say, oversupply of power. It's for sure something we looked into quite a lot. And uh, so now we're working very closely with our athletes. I think here yeah, also Fabian, he was uh, trying a lot of different things. So we're trying a lot of different things with him. And at the end, yeah, we were saying, okay, the better compromise is to have it um, not on the bike as it is currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know, in the meantime, we are, we are always constantly pushing the, um, the borders, the technologies and uh, yeah. So it might not be Sweet available light. at the moment, but the future, okay. you never know, never know. We, we might see Fabian with some kind of extra button on his handlebars maybe, at some maybe. point by, by the sounds of it. <laughs> so where, yeah, where do you see this whole gravity like sector going? And we talked about it potentially replacing uplift shuttles, but it feels like the racing side of things now is it's at that world level. It's going to, you know, as a result of that, it's going to grow more and more people are going to see it. We've got, e-bikes becoming way more accepted i think like so many more people have them now most people who've swung their leg over one either own one now or really want to own one we're seeing a lot of pros if they're not racing them they're using them for training like they're a good tool in that that side of things like where do you see this whole gravity sector going yeah that's a good one only time will tell us so e-bikes if you look now if you look in the in the forest if you go to finale so many people riding e-bikes now so it's hard to imagine that uh, it's going to be even more so hard to say i think at some point yeah there's gonna be uh, it need to level up somewhere so i think this year for example um in germany i think it's gonna be break even point where there's gonna be more e-bikes sold than bikes without an e-bike um really? so definitely it was like a hockey stick development and an e-bike sales but i mean it cannot go on like this forever so if you ask me within the next two or three years i think it's gonna i mean nobody knows yeah but uh, probably we're yeah, gonna yeah. Um, come to a come to a point where it's uh, it's actually yeah gonna gonna level itself where do you see like from a technology side of things like we we have these trends of things getting lighter smaller cheaper um across many sectors not just in the bike industry do you think that there's much room within e-mountain bikes for that to happen or do you think people are still pushing for more power do you think power levels are kind of where they should be now and we'll see like a reduction in size and Wait, yeah. like which direction do you think yeah. that'll go yeah. i think in power we are actually i think we are like almost over the peak now um with what i mentioned before with uh, having uh, the mm. race motor um cx race motor from bosch if you ask me it's probably too much uh, for for a mountain bike um so definitely smaller motors because the the motors we now have they have huge power output and um, if you look at how most of people actually using those products um, they hardly use all the power like uh, what, what a racer would actually use. So seeing smaller systems, seeing smaller, lighter batteries, hopefully also seeing prices coming down because if you think about a big motor with a lot of power and a small motor with few power, if you ask me the smaller one with few power uh, should be the cheaper one. Uh, but looking at the price tags at the moment, it's <laughs> sometimes it's the opposite way. So... Um, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some some uh, also some improvements, um, some more competitive prices in that segment uh, coming up uh, also as well. So for us, yeah. uh, it's important also to have, <clears throat> you know, like uh, great products on the entry entry level price point. And I think uh, just uh, some e-bikes they are they are more expensive than they could be and. Uh, I think we are we are also pushing in a, a direction which is is good for a customer at the end. Yeah, that's good to hear. And for customers that are looking at the strive and the talk, like how would you differentiate with, between the two? Like how would you try and help send people in the right direction between those two bikes? Yeah. So for the talk, yeah, if you ride a bike park, if you have a local 
bike park if you do not mind um, or if you do not want to uh, do technical climbing and push yourself on uh, on the most tricky uphill yeah, then probably the torque is the better bike but if you want to do racing if you want to challenge yourself with um, potentially also building some crazy uphill trail yeah which uh, which uh, you, you never managed to um, to do before then uh, this drive would be the, the go-to bike yeah are, are you seeing much of that in the german market are people starting to build like gnarly up it's not something i've <laughs> no. seen here yet you don't see you like, need to go to tonius you need to go to fabian he's going to show you some stuff <laughs> he's always been one step yeah, ahead or yeah, more than one step yeah. ahead hey so maybe it will be the next thing people build in yeah. tacky uphills but no it's it's for I sure it's, I mean, it, it's a thing yeah uh, i mean you see it in yeah. racing and uh, if this becomes more popular and uh, maybe he would like riding trials yeah you also see uh, danny mcgaskill or fabio wittmer those guys bring in a, a new kind of riding style into mountain bike um also this kind of techie trials riding um segment is going to become more more popular probably you see some motor trials yeah. rider actually on on e-bikes uh, and they are pushing in a, in a in a certain direction which you haven't seen for mountain bike riders before so that's that's quite interesting yeah definitely well it's been yeah it's always awesome to see what chris Acker can do on an yeah, e-bike yeah, as well yeah. like seeing them ridden in that way is it's quite uh refreshing like it's yeah, cool to see yeah. people finding different ways to use these things so if you have more people yeah. on e-bike more riders um definitely i think you would see a couple of, of trails popping up there are some trails here like which used to be popular downhill trails like maybe five six seven years ago but they are not being ridden that much because they are not super flowy they might have some awkward tight turns and those trails actually they are being uh yeah, rediscovered now from e-bikes again and uh, being used for, for uphill trails because, um, yeah, it's more fun than just uh, climbing the fire road. Yeah, it's a challenge as well. So, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, e-bikes make uphill fun again, which is uh, is new. Like, it's, I've sort of forgotten about uphill riding. You always want to find the easiest way to the top, but when you're on an e-bike, you don't look at it in the same no, way, no, do you? No, no. There's a challenge so, to be had and some fun there. So. Three hours, three, yeah, four hours people. on an e-bike, you are mentally, you are done. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, it's been uh, it's been really interesting chatting and finding out a bit more about what you guys have been up to in, uh, in getting those new Gravity e-bikes out there. Um, before we sign off, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. If people are looking to work in the bike industry, um, have you got any advice you'd give? Like you've obviously been involved for a good few years now. Like what, what would you say to people that want to get into the bike industry? In some yeah. Way? Yeah. So I think for us, it's super important that, um, yeah, you need to be in the sport. You need to be in the market. You need to know everything about bikes. Basically it's part of your part of the lifestyle. Uh, so it's not just a job. Um, you actually have to live mountain bike or you have to live road bike. And uh, because this is something you cannot learn. Yeah? So you can go to university, you can uh, learn engineering, um, you could learn business management, whatever, uh, but you cannot learn, um, you know, the passion for bikes. Um, so if you bring this, yeah, if you, uh, yeah, if you uh, keep on pushing uh, for your dream, uh, then I would say like uh, anything is, is possible. Nice. Good advice, man. And if people want to check out the bikes, where's the best place for them to be looking? Check out the bikes on uh, Kenyan.com for sure. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. I'll stick a link in the show notes. So people can find that. But yeah, thanks Moritz. It's been, uh, it's been fun to catch up and I look forward to seeing what's next from you guys. Cause I'm sure there's more stuff in the Definitely works. Exciting times that, yeah. Thank you very much, Chris, for, for having me, for giving the opportunity to chat here. It's been, been great fun and uh, yeah, I hope to talk to you soon. All right, that's it for this episode with Moritz. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Canyon for supporting this episode and make sure you head over to canyon.com to check out the bikes. Both the Strive On and the Talk On are a lot of fun, especially when you point them downhill. A massive thanks to InvisiFrame for supporting this episode too. If you want to keep your bike looking brand new and also make sure you get the best resale value possible when the time comes, then get your bike InvisiFrame protected now. As a downtime listener, you can get 20% off worldwide using the code DOWNTIME20 for the month of July. That's downtime, all uppercase, followed by the number 20 over at InvisiFrame.co.uk. And the end of July is rapidly approaching, so be quick if you want some.
Also, a massive thanks to Gorewear. If you're looking for the highest quality clothing that will enable you to get out on your bike in all weather conditions, then Gorewear's got you covered with technical products that are backed with quality engineering and innovation and last the test of time. As a Downtime listener, you can get 20% off the entire range until the end of August. Just use the code DOWNTIME20 at the checkout over on gorewear.com. This offer works in both the US and the EU web stores. That's Downtime, all in capitals, followed by the number 20 on gorewear.com. Also, don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If Patreon doesn't work for you, then there's other things you can do, like telling your friends about the show and spreading the word, sharing the episodes on your social media and leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast as well. You can do that by hitting the button in your podcast app now or by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. If you want a bit of extra downtime, you can do that by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. (laughs) 